the, we'll probably spend the next few Sunday schools um, looking at this topic, but the topic is going to be a scriptural church. This is going to be a continued series, a continued look in Sunday school at biblical principles. We've uh, spoken on many. I, I don't remember the number. I think this is either number 10 or number 11. Um, but looking at the biblical principles as taught by the Word of God, we've come to the scriptural church. What is a doctrinal church? So look with me in Matthew chapter 16. So, of course, that subject is very large, and it's uh, maybe we get through it all in one setting, or maybe we need a, a few more, but, uh, I mean, C.D. Cole wrote, wrote a whole book on the New Testament church, so, so many subjects and topics that are in there, I doubt we'll be able to get through all of it. Actually, Sister April wanted me to uh, one day go over the Trail of Blood. That also is a whole book <laughs> written by Carol on the doctrinal church. So it's a very large subject. Uh, unfortunately, it's a subject that gets ignored largely in society today. Uh, they don't see the significance of it, and, but it's in the Word of God. And so we, uh, you know, it's an awesome responsibility to obey and adhere to the Lord's commands and what His principles and statutes are. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, many of you are familiar with this verse. And he gives a promise about his church. Um, verse 18 of Matthew chapter 16. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loose in heaven. We're not going to be teaching on verse 19. Uh, it'll be more about verse 18. But certainly, as we start looking at interpreting what is the Lord's church, we may reference verse 19 because this 19 gets taken out of proportion. Uh, just real quickly, when he says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom, the keys is the gospel and everything pertaining to the gospel. Uh, the good news of God, it's God's gospel and it comes from above. It comes from heaven. It's about the kingdom of heaven. And he says, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Uh, a lot of the church denominations or religions, they heap onto Peter way too much authority with this verse. They think that Peter is some kind of gatekeeper. For the, you know, he's going to be up there at the at the gates, the heaven, you know. So what do they do? They say, well, the Pope is a Peter, right? So they, in successionism, they say, well, Peter's got this power, he's got this authority, uh, that whatever he loses on earth, be loose um, or on earth, and then whatever he shall bind in heaven shall be bound in heaven. But uh, it's not talking about that. Uh, Peter was charged with a message a message that he is to go preach, and the effect was people would be bound or loosed. Uh, you can look at it that way. Uh, people, the effect of preaching the gospel is people will either inherit the kingdom of God or they will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
Peter was given the same charge as all the other apostles were given. Uh, now, we know that Peter did have a special place as the apostle and that he was the, Gentile, or he was the uh, apostle to the Jews. And he also was the one the Lord spoke to about uh, the Gentiles, about how what God has cleansed to not call unclean anymore. And so uh, there was a barrier being broken, and, and the Lord instructed and showed Peter how that barrier had been broken between the Jews and the Gentiles, and salvation has come to the Gentiles. What God has cleaned no longer call uncleaned. And so uh, also there's the element of the law, that there would be things that used to be restricted that will uh, not be or will be unrestricted now and things unrestricted that will be restricted. So that's what that verse means. But as far as the scriptural church, the, the very thing that we see a lot of these places, people assembling today and this week, they're assembling in what they call a church. They've abandoned church truth. They've abandoned the church doctrine. Now, what we do is we actually make that our blueprint and our foundation for our faith and practice. The Bible is our only source of faith and practice. It always has been. This isn't something Metathorpe Baptist Church is doing new. This is something the Lord's churches have always done all throughout the centuries. Ever since he charged this, that the, this is my church, and I will build, he says, thou art Peter, and upon this rock, meaning himself, not Peter, Jesus said he's going to build his church upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So no matter what happens, no matter what may come throughout our history, whether it's Germany trying to burn Bibles, whether it's this cult trying to burn Bibles, trying to do away with religion, atheism, uh, all of these, ACLU, everybody trying to get rid of the Word of God, they will not prevail against the Lord's church. They will not. They will not overtake it. And so that is what is called a promise of perpetuity. Perpetuity means it goes on and on and on and on and on. And so when you say, when, when you hear me say Baptist perpetuity or the Lord's church's perpetuity, it's referring to this promise. And it's not just me that says it. All the Lord's churches will, will understand this verse that the Lord had given promise to his kind of church that they would continue on and on until his return. So the problem that churches have today is they will break away from the instructions of the Word of God. Not only does the Word of God tell us about God, it tells us how to be saved, it tells us about man, it tells us about heaven, it tells us about hell, it tells us about the sin nature, it tells us how to be saved, but it also tells us how to assemble. It tells us that we need to assemble, first of all. We need to be together. Once you are saved, once you're born again, the Lord wants you to be with other saved people. Yes. That you are not meant to be alone. Uh, so we come together as a community. And this is assembly. That's the, the Greek word is ekklesia. That's all it means. Uh, many times you'll, the, the word of God will call it a mob, like a gathering of people, an ekklesia. So there's no special spiritual meaning within the word itself of church. It just means the assembly. So we've come together. Now, it's a called out assembly. 
Now, that, what that means is God has called out this assembly to meet. So the reason we're here is God has called us to be here. He didn't call me to be at Richmond Road Baptist Church. He didn't call me to be at Lexington Bethel. He didn't call me to be at Bryan Station. He has called me to be here. And that's where I need to be, uh, is here. It's a called out assembly. So um, once you're saved, does it matter which church you attend? And the answer is yes. Christ said that I will build my church. And he didn't mean uh, like a universal, invisible uh, church that you can't see with your eyes. He meant a church that you can be with, you can eat with, you can pray with, you can love, you can cry with, and uh, you can love. So again, it's meant to be a community of support. So that is the Lord's intention, is yes, there is a kind of church that the Lord has, and it is, I will build my church. In verse 18, that means that there are other kinds of churches today. Not all churches are true churches. There are many churches that are, are meeting today that are teaching false doctrine. They're leading people astray. Paul warns Timothy over and over and over to remain in sound doctrine. There's, there's many who cannot endure sound doctrine uh, because they want fables, they want stories, they want entertainment. A lot of these churches, uh, they're great at providing entertainment. They might, as, they might as well have bounce houses too and pizza, buffet, and, because that's all they're doing is providing this worldly kind of entertainment. And that's what Timothy said, or Paul said to Timothy. The, the sad part is, is he said, do not be surprised when people will leave, abandon the sound doctrine. As, as we stand up here, Metathorpe Baptist Church stands for sound doctrine. Uh, we do not compromise it. And we don't apologize for sound doctrine. We are charged to give it. And what will happen is either God's people will come hungering and thirsting for it, and they'll be able to recognize when it's not sound doctrine. And those are the people you want in the church. You want the people in the church who love the Lord. Because if you love the Lord, then you love one another. And there's a unity in the church. Okay? But those who do not have the spirit and are just wanting to get together for a family thing, get all dressed up. I mean, it's no different than Keeneland, honestly. And actually, I see people dress better at Keeneland. I mean, not that that has anything to do with it. People put more importance in Keeneland. I'll just say that. People put more importance in Keeneland than they do in the Lord's Church. And that's all it is to them. It's a photo op. It's a place to be. It's a place that all, and, and, or it's a, the only time they get to see their family is on Sundays. And so that's the reason they come. All these people have different reasons for going to Lord's churches. And so when they sit down, do you think they want to be told about sin and hell and repent and believe? And, and no, they, they want to hear stories. They, they want to hear about, you know, uh, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And God uh, wants to give you your best life now. And, and that's, that's called having itching ears. And, and, and Paul told Timothy that you're going to have people that want to heap up to themselves teachers having 
itching ears. They, they, they don't want to hear sound doctrine. And so one of the things as, you know, especially as a pastor or any preacher or as the church member, it's good that we are aware of that. <laughs> it's good that we're aware. You, you may see people come. You may see people go. You don't know why. They don't, they don't, typically people don't leave like this is why I left cards out there. Um, I've been curious sometimes. We'll, we'll get somebody coming. They're coming strong, and then just they're gone. And you wonder, I wonder if it's something I said or something. I just never know what happened. And uh, so you, you, I kind of wonder sometimes, but I'm not surprised, you know, because that's, that happens. And nor is it my burden. It's the Lord is working. The Lord is working. And, uh, you know, if, if the Lord has lassoed you and brought you here, it's not by my strength or by my charm or by my words that you're going to stay here. You're, the Lord is going to keep you here. Because uh, it's the Lord calls out his assembly and he adds to his body all of those that should be saved and he puts you in the church. Um, I know many of you, I don't know how many have been to other churches or have been a member of different churches, but uh, when the Lord is, is kind of tugging at your heart and everything, there's a bit of an un, a, a peace that's not there. And then um, certainly, you know, if the Lord is leading somebody to, to go somewhere to a different church or you've moved to a different location and you need to start searching for a church there, a local church. Um, and honestly, I, to me, I, um, you get a lot of people I know that, that come out of town, but it's, it's good to, to be somewhere where you can always be there, be there over and over and over. And I know sometimes that's hard for some people. Uh, but anyway, that is the, the by definition, the, he says, I will build my church. That means his ecclesia. He says, upon this rock, I will build my church. Who built the Lord's church? The Lord did. Jesus built his church. It wasn't a man. It was he himself. When did he build his church? When he was on earth, during his earthly ministry. His church did not start at Pentecost. His church started with him calling his 12. He had the, there was baptism going on. There's a Lord's Supper going on. Those are the only two ordinances which Jesus gave to his church. The Lord built it and he is still adding to it. Now, there's something called the family of God. The family of God certainly are you and I are brothers and sisters. I have, you have brothers and sisters in Christ all over the world. And you have brothers and sisters from history, and then you'll have them tomorrow if the Lord doesn't come back. You, that's called the family of God. Nowhere in the Bible is the family of God given the ordinances of the Lord's Supper and baptism. That's only for the Lord's local called-out assembly. That's the only time that the assembly is called. As we are local, we're visible. Uh, Paul re refers to each one of Jesus' kind of churches as a whole complete body with Jesus as our head. Now, Jesus is our head federally. That means kind of like the head of state. He's, he is in charge of this church. Uh, the universal church people. Now what that means, actually universal uh, is translated Catholic. Uh, 
And so the universal church theory is, is that the church is spiritual. It's unseen. It's, it's mystical. And you have to be a member of this mystical, unseen church to be saved. And so the Catholic Church takes that. And what they say is, okay, well, you have to be a member of the Catholic Church, which is, means universal. You have to be a member of this mystical body in order to be in Christ, in order to be saved. So the Catholics teach you must be a Catholic to go to heaven. That's, that's what they teach. You have to be a member of this universal, unseen, uh, spiritual body to be saved, and that the Catholic Church has deemed themselves to be that universal body on earth. There's the universal body, physical universal body on earth, which is the Catholic Church, and you don't have to you know, go to Rome and, and join the church there. The Catholic Church has many branches. They, they stretch out into all kinds of... Uh, and, Honestly, there are some Protestant churches who also believe this, who also believe in a universal church theory that you must be a member of this church in order to be saved. Um, but so when you hear somebody tell the Baptist, oh, you believe you have to be a Baptist to be saved. No. We do not teach you have to be a Baptist to be saved because salvation is not in the church. So they assume we teach salvation is being a Baptist because that's what they believe. They believe you have to be a member of the Catholic Church. Oh, you're saying that you have to be a member of the... No. Nowhere in the Word of God does it say that. So now, be, uh, believer's baptism, of course, is a prerequisite to church membership at Metathorpe Baptist Church. But you don't have to be baptized to be saved. Right? Therefore, you don't have to be a member of a church to be saved. If you don't have to be baptized to be saved, you don't have to be a member of the church. And being a member of one of the Lord's churches, baptism is a prerequisite. But it is not a prerequisite to salvation. The thief on the cross was saved. Um, only believers are baptized. Uh, and, and not to get into doctrinal baptism, and scriptural baptism again. We talked about that a few weeks ago. If you're more interested in, in baptism, uh, we know that baptism is a picture. Uh, it has to have the right uh, design and mode. It has to be immersion. Baptism is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You have to be dunked under the water and risen. It's symbolic and design. Uh, so it, is, it does not do an additional work of grace within you. And it has to be done by the right uh, authority. That the Lord had charged his church to baptize. He didn't give the authority to anybody else to baptize except his church. All right, so uh, also as we look at the origin of the Lord's church, we see that Jesus had built his kind of church on his self, on the rock. Now, something I want you to be careful of, many of you all know, many who are listening may not know, but we need to understand is when you have the, the Word of God, you have the Bible, it's very important for us to know that the notes, the publisher's notes, or the author's notes, or their opinions about what is, it is saying is not inspired. 
many have fallen into Schofieldism. Okay, so I, again, if you have a Schofield Bible, I'm just glad you have a Bible and that you're reading your Bible. But you have to be very careful reading what Schofield's opinions are about this. He has some very uh, far out opinions. Um, I wrote down a, a couple of them. This is in his book. Schofield wrote this book, The Synthesis of Biblical Truth. He says, the visible church as such is charged with no mission. The commission to evangelize is personal and not corporate. He says this to justify his position that the church was originated at Pentecost. If that's not true, Jesus started his church. Jesus gave the ordinances to his church. If he just gave his ordinances, the Lord's Supper, this do in remembrance of me, as oft as you do, this is, the test, this is the blood of the testament, all the things he gave the church the charge to do. If, he's, if those were just the apostles and his disciples, then that command um, ceased with them. It stopped. There's, if it was to them, I don't get to practice what he taught them to do. But it wasn't. It was his church. It was his assembly. It was his called out assembly. So in perpetuity, we do the things which he has charged the church when he was on the earth. Now, Schofield was wrong about several other things. Uh, his views, he was what we call hyper-dispensational. He had seven dispensations. But the, thing that, the reason he was hyper in those dispensations, those seven dispensations, is he taught that there were two ways to be saved. He taught that there was a way to be saved under the law dispensation, and then there was a way to be saved under the grace dispensation. Um, and here's a direct quote from him. As a dispensation, grace begins with the death and resurrection of Christ. The point of testing is no longer legal obedience as the condition of salvation, but acceptance or rejection of Christ with good works as a fruit of salvation. Now, there's a big problem with that is all the word of God teaches us that there's one way to be saved and one way only, and that is being justified by faith. That's imputed righteousness. The how was Abraham saved? Saved Was he saved by works? Was he saved by obedience? The law wasn't even in Abraham's day. Uh, no, he was justified by faith. It was the grace of God. Uh, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, that doesn't mean that Noah performed to God's grace standards. No, God decided to have grace on Noah, despite Noah. And that's how he deals with us. He decides in his love, and he had always, if, if, if he decides to act upon you, his intention was always to act upon you because the Lord does not change. He does not change his mind. Um, so, for him, for you to be saved, it was intentional. You know that. It's not an accident you were saved. It's not that you stumbled on some gospel track and that you, you had the wherewithal to receive Christ. No. Uh, if you're saved today and you know him and you, you are saved and safe, you've, you've had your sins forgiven and you're going to heaven when you die. You have all assurance. Well, that's, that wasn't by accident. That was by God's intention to do that. So it's by his grace he saved you. In the same way throughout all of the history of time, God had to act upon man. It wasn't obedience to the law. Uh, other views that Schofield had was universal church. He thought the church was started at Pentecost, and he believed in the gap theory. Uh, just remember that if you do have a Schofield Bible, just to be careful with the notes of Schofield. 
that's not Bible. <laughs> Read the Bible within, you know, certainly, uh, but um, it's just one of, those, one of those things. Unfortunately, people will read the notes, and then they'll believe the notes. Um, okay, but we got a few more minutes. The organization of the Lord's Church. The members of the Lord's Church, His called-out assembly, must be born-again believers. That's throughout the Word of God. You don't have members of the Lord's Church who were not believers and then baptized. In Acts 2.47, the Lord added daily as should be saved. The officers of the Lord's church are bishops and deacons only. Now, way back when the church started there in Jerusalem, uh, you had apostles and you had prophets, but those offices have ceased. Now we just have the office of bishop and the office of deacon uh, that the Bible teaches. The government of the church, and that, that's in Actually, Philippians, Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul calls out to the saints of Philippi. He greets them with the bishops and deacons. Now, bishops means pastor. Hopefully you all know that. It's, it, bishop means pastor. Um, the government of the church is congregational or democratic. Each local assembly is democratic under the rule of Christ. We're independent. We do not, we, we assemble together and we're autonomous. What that means is that we are self-governed. That there is no outside entity that is telling us who to uh, bring into our pulpit. There's no outside entity that is telling us what to teach, how to teach it, who to accept as members. It is a self-governed body. It's democratic and we see that in Acts. We see that as the church body voted upon the deacons uh, there wasn't a, a, a deacon convention. It was the deacons and the missionaries for that particular church. And each church, um, you know, we support missionaries, but I don't know if we have, I don't know if Metathorpe has a sent missionary or not. I don't think so. Of, of the notes that I've read, I don't think we've actually sent uh, a missionary out from Metathorpe. We've, we've sent preachers. We've definitely ordained priest, uh, preachers before, and they're out and licensed preachers. And um, uh, you, Brother Jeremy was licensed. You were licensed here. You were surrendered the call to preach here, weren't you, Brother? And so, uh, it, Jer Brother Jeremy didn't get his, his preacher license at a convention or a seminary, he got it at a church. And that's where we see in the Lord's word, that's where that is supposed to happen, is in the Lord's church, because there's a vote. There's a vote. And all of us should be led by the Spirit to vote in unison, so that way the will of the Lord is done. Uh, if you have a school board or this board, these governing bodies, they're, they're not voting with the Spirit. They're just, it's just a thing. Um, so... We are to vote under the leadership and the direction of the Holy Spirit. And how do you do that? You do that as one of the Lord's church who is in harmony and unity and in love. There's no leaven. We're all going the same way and everything. So, um, like I said before, uh, the Lord is the head of the church. Now, universal church people will say that that, that means that Jesus is the biological head. 
he's like some organic head. And so uh, the universal, and actually I, I, I probably need to preach, teach. Chuck Hunt had a wonderful book on the universal church, and uh, that could be a whole other subject of how we reject the universe, the idea of the universal church, the mystical church uh, concept, the teaching, uh, because they say that Jesus is our organic head and we're all biologically connected. That's, that's their teaching. We're all biologically connected and uh, if one uh, is cut off, then they're, they're cut off from all. And the problem is, is if Jesus is our biological head, the head cannot live without the body. And the body cannot live without the head. What does Jesus do in Revelation? He takes his candlestick away from those, one of those seven churches. He, those are literal seven churches in Revelation. And he says that you've done this and you need to correct this or else I will remove my candlestick. If Christ removes himself as a biological head from the church, an organic body, the head will also die. That means that Jesus cannot live without his body. A head cannot live without its body. So it's not talking about an organic, biological body of Christ. It's talking about Christ as the head of his church, just like in Ephesians where it talks about the man, the, the husband being the head of the wife, that doesn't mean they're biologically connected. That means it is a matter of position, a statement, or the state, the federal headship. And so uh, that is taught through the word of God. And so if you start to see that, that the, the Lord's true church is a local called out assembly, visible of body of believers that you can locate on the map because those are the ones who have the ordinances and the Lord's Supper and Jesus taught them about church discipline and Jesus taught or he, he wrote to the seven churches of Asia. They were literal churches. Now each of those churches can represent churches throughout all the ages but those were literal seven churches that he wrote to, that John wrote to uh, in Asia so we see, and a lot of the universal church people will say, well, we, we don't deny that there's a local assembly of body believers and all of this. But the problem is, is they are confusing the family of God with the church of God. Um, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just one church. It's churches. It's like saying... The American boy lives to be 65 or whatever. Was he talking about just one American boy? One American boy that is a composite of all the American boys? Is it some mystical boy that hovers above America? No, he's talking about the subject, the boys. When he talks about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, he's talking about the subject. The churches. When you say, ah, oh, the American boy or, or the uh, Texas Ranger does this, or it's the subject. And it, what it means is the individual ones. And that is what we see with the Lord's church. He promised in perpetuity. He promised that the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. 
Now, does that mean every single church that has come into existence will always be in existence? That doesn't mean that. It means that his kind of church will, though. Whatever they're called, wherever they meet, uh, whenever in time they are, the Lord knows. And what does the Lord do? He walks in the midst of his churches. And he warns other churches to repent, to fix things, or else he will remove his candlestick. And then that church is not blessed. A church is not, I mean, they're lukewarm, they're cold, they're whatever, but if, they, if you don't have the Lord walking in the midst of your church, then I don't see the point in having church. But we pray that the Lord just continues to instruct us and talk to us, and uh, we'll continue this subject next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this day you've given us. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy to us, and Father, we pray, Lord, that you would just encourage and bless those, Lord, who are here today to fill their heart with praise towards you. Father, today, Lord, we and every day is about you, but specifically and especially today as we come together and we meet and assemble in your name. Father, may we just open up our hearts and praise you, for you are worthy above all things, Father, for you have given us life and life eternally. May we just praise your name today in your church.